we're thankful for another opportunity to be able to study the Word of God, look into His Word. Thank God for His loving mercy, His grace and power that keeps us and that guides us and for the ability He's given us to be able to study and, and thankful for every one of you that listen. Hope that the Word of God could be a benefit to you. So we, we've been studying uh, in First Kings. We finished chapter 17 last time. Uh, been studying Elijah and Lord willing in just a little while, Elisha as well. And the works that God wrought in them. And we left off last time. We seen Elijah raise the widow woman's son. And I feel like very important to see that that was the first resurrection that occurs in the Word of God. By the record that we have in the book, nobody had been raised from the dead before that occurrence. And so the widow woman's son dies, and you know, it's it's never happened, never been heard of before. But Elijah had such great confidence and knowledge and understanding of the power of God that he took the young man upstairs, prayed over him, <clears throat> and the Lord raised that son from the dead. And we talked about Elijah's prayer, let this child's soul come into him again. The knowledge there, even in the Old Testament, according to my Bible, around 900, 905 B.C., so 900 years before Christ, here's a man with an understanding that the life that people have is provided by God and it is the soul that gives life to the body and the soul had separated from this young man's body and Elijah prays God would you let his soul come back into him again let this man live again and you know certainly still true today we still preach and teach out of the New Testament of the two men there's a natural man there's a spiritual man there's a natural flesh but there's a soul and it's that eternal soul that the Lord Jesus gave his life for that we could have eternal life that we could escape the damnation of God so that first resurrection that takes place um, took place at the hands of Elijah the man of God. And remembering this now, this is dark, dark, evil times. Times that the northern ten tribes of Israel had completely forsaken God. Completely forsaken the prophets. Completely forsaken any service towards the God of the Bible whatsoever and had wholly and completely turned after idols. And they've got a king that's an evil and a wicked man desiring to rebel against God. And on top of that, we got a wife that's even worse than he is that's leading him farther down that road. We're at a time of great darkness here. And God's brought a man that's brought a famine over the land, publicly announced it, and here it's been at least two years in when he resurrects this son 
that there's been no rain or dew. Now you think about the damage and destruction that's occurred in the land that's not seen one raindrop nor any dew for two years. You talk about a message that God is sending to the nation. And then here's a young man that's dead and that resurrects. Now do you reckon that made the news? Do you reckon that people heard that here's somebody that's died? They were dead and this man has prayed by the power of God and he's been resurrected. Now Elijah didn't hold any glory to himself. Certainly this would have been a great opportunity for Elijah to have been upheld as some sort of God and been worshipped. But we know that he didn't because the widow woman says in the last verse, By this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. This was a testimony that Elijah was a man and a servant of the Most High God. What a testimony that this was. And now let's not skip over this either in review. That widow woman, she was obeying and being actively used by the Lord and she's going to go through this great tribulation of her son dying and being resurrected. And we know by that last verse that we just read that she was convinced now more so than she ever had been that Elijah was God's man and that God was God. That the God of the Word of God was the only God, the only authority, the only power that there was. And without that time of tribulation, that time of suffering, that time of trouble, she would not have come to this place of convincing. Now there may be a lot of questions about trouble, tribulation, and uh, a suffering that's endured in this world. And why would the church, why would somebody that's a servant of God endure these things? Well here, God's going to take this trouble. He's going to convince her by His work and His handiwork that He is God. So we're going to come now to chapter 18. Uh, we'll read the first couple verses together. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go shew thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to shew himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. So now God is going to send Elijah back to speak to Ahab again. It's at God's direction that Elijah is acting. And, uh, you know, the, the Lord had hid him. The Lord had put him away. The Lord had said, now I'm going to send you to the brook. And from the brook, he sent him down to Zidon, to Zarephath, to the widow's house. I'm going to keep you out of the public eye. I'm going to keep you hid from Israel and I'm going to bring this judgment upon the land that they might know, that they might understand that I'm God and there's no other beside me. I'm sending you to bring this judgment and announce it and I'm going to hide you that they can't find you 
that they can't pray, that they've got no way out. And don't you know now, maybe they mocked at first, and I realize we've talked about this before, but maybe Ahab and Jezebel laughed at Elijah at first. And as time goes on, as a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month goes by, no rain and no dew, perhaps they start to get concerned and they get their prophets, they get their men to pray unto Baal, pray unto Ashtaroth, pray unto their idols looking for an answer, looking for rain, looking for help. Six months goes by and I don't know what would still be alive after six months that wasn't beside a large stream. But after a year, what's the river, the Jordan River, look like? After a year, without a drop of rain, without any dew. Two years. And now, according to James, James says in his book that Elijah prayed, and it rained not for the space of three years and six months. So three and a half years has went by. Now, how much praying to Baal has been done? There's been no answer. Maybe there was some that sought after Elijah. There was no answer. Maybe they prayed to Ashtaroth. Maybe Jezebel sent back to her country and had them praying. No answer. No relief. The land is dried up. A, as he says here in verse 2, the famine... There was a sore famine in Samaria. Two years of no rain. Now, what kind of condition is the world in after three years and six months without rain? It was pitiful. No question, this place was in pitiful shape. In Job 23, now they, they looked, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, they sought after Elijah, they couldn't find him. In Job 23, Job says this in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. So now when God hides himself, who's going to be able to find him? Ahab and the armies of Israel, and all of the people, they couldn't find Elijah, a man, who was living by brook somewhere around Jordan, and then was in Zidon at a widow's house that was just a next-door neighbor to Israel. God hid him, and they couldn't find a man living next to him. Now what if God, who is a spirit who is the God's truth beyond our understanding. He's not a man walking on the earth that we can go over uh, to Asheville or go to Washington or go to Jerusalem and find. God's a spirit. And if God hides himself from us, how in the world are we going to find him? And people think, well, we'll find him whenever we want to. We'll get right with God when we decide. Well, I'm going to tell you, after a year and a half of famine, Ahab would have liked to have got a hold of God and got some rain. Israel would have liked to have got a hold of God 
and got some rain. But when he's hid, he's not going to be found. So what does that tell me? Well, in Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, verse number 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So there is, by this scripture, there's a time that the Lord may be found. But if that's the case, then there must also be a time that he cannot be found. There is a time when God is near that we can call on him. And by that, there's also a time that God is not near. He says in Proverbs, and we've referred to this scripture, uh, many be the times, but then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. So there's a time that God can be sought after and found, and that God will hear, and God will have mercy. But he's instructing us here in Isaiah, seek him then. Because if you seek him afterwards, he's not going to be found. And maybe folks would say, well, that's Old Testament. That don't apply today. We're under grace and not under the law. God will hear us whenever we want to pray. Whenever man decides to pray, God will hear and God will have mercy. If we really mean it from our heart, God will hear and God will have mercy. Now that's not the scripture. And Jesus himself, when the disciples said, Lord, are there few that be saved? The Lord said, seek to enter in. For many shall seek and not be able when the door is shut. There's a time that the door is going to be shut. Man's not going to be able to find the Lord. But now here, God says, Elijah, it's time to go back to Ahab. And I want you to notice that. Elijah didn't decide, well, now I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and there's going to be rain back. God used Elijah to pray and shut up the heavens. God used Elijah to pray and bring rain back. But that was done at the direction of God. That does not mean that I'm going to go and pray and I'm going to shut the heavens up. I realize Elijah was a man of like passions, just as I am. But he was praying at the direction and acting at the direction of God. That doesn't mean that we're going to go pray and God's going to shut the heavens up and it's not going to rain. Or that I can get down and pray after three and a half years of famine and God's going to send rain. God, Elijah's acting under God's leadership. And there is where God's men and God's church ought to be acting. Acting under the leadership of the Holy Ghost, of the Word of God. And, you know, I feel like that's left off a lot of times. A lot of people want to talk about how spiritual they are. But friends, there's times the Spirit ain't high. And we need to seek the Word of God. 
And if the Word of God is opposed or contrary, then know that that's not God. God does not act contrary to the Word of God. God's not going to direct me to do something contrary to the Word of God. If, if that discernment could be had, it'd be a great benefit. So God directs Elijah to go back, and Elijah went to shew himself unto Ahab. He's going back under the leadership and direction of God. Now we're going to meet a man here. And let's read about this man in verse 3. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. <coughs> I'm sorry. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go unto the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we should not lose all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. And Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. So we've got a little picture here of a man, Obadiah, and of the situation that had resulted from this famine in Israel. So Obadiah first, let's look at him. and Let's get a picture of who this man is. His name means servant of Jehovah. So you think about how wicked now that Ahab and Jezebel was, and they were wicked. Without question, God says in his word that they were wicked. And yet, the governor of his house is a man that greatly feared the Lord. You know, that 23rd Psalm, um, our pastor looked there just a little bit in service last night. But that 23rd Psalm where he says... He maketh a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Well, notice this. God had a man that feared him. The Bible tells me that he feared the Lord greatly. He had a man that feared him greatly in and ruling over the house of Ahab. My God, you talk about a place that it looked impossible for there to be a man of God. God had a man there. You look at Israel previous to this when Eli was the high priest and his two sons were working wickedly and ungodly down there at the temple, stealing sacrifices, laying with the women, serving the devil down right in the very temple of God at a time of darkness and wickedness and God brought a man Samuel up in the midst of that God's able to keep to preserve to lead to guide and to keep his men right under the nose of the devil and that's where Obadiah was and there he feared the Lord greatly amongst this great 
wickedness. Now that word fear, it means revere, to hold in reverence. He reverenced the Lord, respected and held him in the place that God ought to be. Now to those that have no reverence for God, they don't care what God says. They don't care what God's word says. They'll throw God to the side. But here's a man that revered the Lord greatly. That word means vehemently or holy. This is a man that held God in reverence as the God of all the earth. He sought, desired God's leadership above all things, and it was to God that he held on to. We read in the first chapter of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord, same word, reverence, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the, the beginning of knowledge and understanding is to hold God in reverence. And if I'm unwilling to reverence, to respect, to fear God as being the supreme authority of all the earth, and in Him my life consists, if I'm unwilling to hold God in a place of reverence and to reverence His Word, and you know if I revere the Word of God, if I reverence God above all things, it'll be God that I seek after, and it'll be God that I desire to please and serve. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. In Matthew 25, the Lord, or Matthew 10, verse 25, the Lord puts it pretty plain, pretty simple, of who that man ought to revere. It is enough for the disciple to, that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So they said the Lord Jesus was the prince of devils. That's what they said, that the Lord Jesus was. And the Lord tells his disciples, Look, if they're going to call me, the only begotten Son of God, Beelzebub, what are they going to say about you? What's their opinion of you going to be? And now the God's truth, the opinion of men that stand on and preach and teach the truth of the Bible, the opinion that's held of them amongst our religious world is that their looms they're devils, and they're teaching and preaching deception. That ought not surprise us. They called the Lord the prince of devils. Fear them not, therefore. So he says, look, if they're going to call me the son of God, a devil, don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You know the truth's going to come out one day. These pious, self-righteous, holier-than-thou folks that hold down the gospel and run down the men of God and run down the truth of the Word of God. The truth's going to be revealed one day. The truth is going to conquer and they're going to be revealed as what they truly are. And the men of God are going to be revealed as what they are as well. 
Don't be downtrodden by the hatred of others. God's going to have victory in the end. What's hidden is going to be made known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. What you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Men, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what they say about you. Don't worry about what their opinion is of you. They called me the devil. Don't be afraid of them. What I give you, you preach. You go and preach the word and you stand on it and you stand against these that run it down. You stand up for the truth and preach it and do not fear them that despise you for it. What you hear and what you receive, that you go and preach. Now, I realize I've not set around the fire with the Lord Jesus and had him as a man speak to me. But I tell you what I've got. I've got what's written. I've got the written word of God. And that's what Paul says. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy didn't sit around the fire and hear the Lord Jesus teach either like the disciples did. But he had the written word. And Paul said, Timothy, preach the word. That's what men of God ought to be concerned about preaching. And I realize, I realize it's boring. I realize it's not interesting. I realize it don't do a thing for the flesh. But friends, the Word of God is what the Lord said to preach. And let those that are of the world and let those that are of the devil despise you for it. But don't you be afraid and don't you back down. And fear not them which are able to kill the body. This is so far gone from where we are today in the United States, we don't, we don't even understand the fullness of what he's saying. But you know what these disciples were going to face? There's 12 of them here. But now Judas is going to hang himself. He's the devil. And Paul the Apostle's going to be brought in in his place by the choice of God. So the twelve with Paul in Judas's place, they're all going to be killed of man except for John. John is going to be exiled to Patmos. But all the other eleven, Paul the Apostle included, they're going to be martyred. They're going to kill them for the gospel. But the Lord Jesus says, don't be afraid of them that are able to kill the body. There's one greater than they are. But rather, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God says, they may be able to kill you. And they did. History says they crucified Peter upside down. They're going to cut James, his head off. They're going to martyr all of these men, except for John. But the Lord says, don't fear them, because there's one that's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't you reckon that's the one that man ought to hold in reverence? Obadiah, he feared the Lord vehemently, greatly. And you know what that's going to do? Now, I could tell you that I fear the Lord. 
But there's going to be some evidence. His fear of the Lord is going to lead him to do something. Now, a lot of people say they're afraid of the Lord, that they fear the Lord. But boy, you wouldn't know it by the life. But now listen to what this man did. Now, we've got in parentheses, starting at the end of verse 3, we're introduced to Obadiah, the governor of the house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so. Now, he's going to give some evidence to that. It ain't just a broad statement. Anybody can jump up behind the pulpit and say, I'm following the Lord. But boy, is there any evidence of that? Well, now God says, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to give me evidence that he fears the Lord. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. Now here we get another picture of the darkness during this time in Israel. Jezebel had, they not only was promoting idolatry and ungodliness and wickedness and rebellion against God chiefly, but they were cutting off the prophets. And you know, I, we don't have prophets today like they did in this day. I realize that. But those prophets were men that were taught and instructed out of the Word of God and were able to teach and instruct others of the Word of God. She cut them off. And friends, you believe it or not, and I realize people think that you're nuts today, they're not only in the United States and all across our world promoting ungodliness and wickedness and rebellion against God, but they're trying to cut off the very Word of God as well. And in a lot of ways, they are succeeding. To find true preaching and teaching of the Gospel and not a bunch of garbage in churches today is a rarity. He says in Amos that there was coming a famine. And you hear this scripture now, you hear it interpreted wrongly a lot of times. A famine of hearing the word of God. Now the way you hear that verse is, well people's not going to hear. The word of God's always going to be around, but people's just not going to hear it. But that's not what he says in the very next verse. That they were going to go to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, and not be able to find it. Now, do you reckon that's coming? And you know, I, I, I live, and am blessed to live in the Bible Belt. But even in the Bible Belt, there's very few places that'll allow me to teach or to preach the Word of God right around where I live. It's too straight. It's too hard. It's not interesting. We don't believe it like that. We don't think like that. We don't agree with you. We don't want you to come. But now you go out west and you go up north in the United States and you go to these states outside of this general area. Boy, you get fewer and far between. You can go to the north, south, east, and west and not find any preaching of the gospel. You know what's brought that on? A, a rejection of God. 
That's what's brought it on. But here Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets, they done away with the word of God. Our world today would like to do away with the word of God. How long should we preach? They don't want us anymore. Preach till there's nobody left. You preach till they're all gone or you're dead. May God help us as the church of the living God to not get soft, to not back up, and not compromise, but may God help us to be like Obadiah. And when they cut off the word of God, God help us to stand on the truth and not compromise on what the word of God says. God help us to have a backbone, to show some discernment, and to be able to stand up and say, this does not line up with what God says. There's too much passivity today going along trying to pacify and pet and agree with everybody and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Friends, if it don't line up with the word of God, it is not the truth. God help us to stand on what the word of God says and if the word of God don't agree with me, God help me to come to the word of God. It's the only guidance the only strength that the church has today, and when we leave it, we've left God. You leave the book, you've left God. It's the truth. That is the truth. So, he feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now, I realize, maybe you think, well, Jezebel just run them out of town. But that's not the case. If you'll give me just a minute. If you'll look, if you've got your Bible. This is still chapter 18, verse number 13. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred of them. So when he says cut them off, know what he's saying is she was killing all of the prophets that she could get a hold of. She intended to completely destroy and cut off all of the prophets of God. She was doing it. And she did it. And best I can tell, out of all the prophets, there was only a hundred that survived. And those were the ones that Obadiah hid. But now you know, Obadiah is going to risk his life. He's putting his neck on the chopping block, risking everything he has to hide these men. If Jezebel had found out that the governor of their house was hiding prophets, do you think she would have had him killed? She would have killed him and the hundred men that she was hiding. This man feared the Lord, and he was willing to put everything he had at risk in order to hide the word and the men of God from the wicked hand of Jezebel. He was willing to lay his life, and the Lord says in John chapter 14, verse number 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And again, verse number 23, 
If a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. So Obadiah feared the Lord. And that fear of the Lord that was in his heart, it moved him to hide these men. It was the fear of the Lord that moved him to hide these men. Well, that's what the Lord's saying in the New Testament. If you're born again, and you know, you've got to tie everything together. You, you really do. Or you can get some wrong doctrine. Because we don't love the Lord naturally. That is not born in us. We're born children of the devil. The world had a big push there for a while, trying to get the church and people that believe the Bible to accept ungodliness. Well, we're all the children of God. Well, the Lord told the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. They were not children of God. They were under the leadership of the devil. And that's where we were when we were lost. We were children of the devil. We had to be adopted. Right? We had to be adopted. Or, as John said, we had to be born again. We had to be brought in to a different family in order to be a child of God. So, when he says, if a man love me, and he says in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. So, God has shed his love abroad upon us by the Holy Ghost. And if there's true love there for God, if God showed us love, and we love him as a result of it, then we're going to have a desire inwardly to keep his words. Obadiah feared the Lord, and it was evidenced by what he did. Now, if I tell you I fear the Lord and I lay my hind in at the house and I won't go support the church and I won't hear the gospel and I've got no desire to do that, you can rest assured that what I'm saying is a lie. It's a lie. Is it possible? Is it possible to love the Lord and not follow his word. Is it possible to fear the Lord? I tell you, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and he hid these men, risking his own life to hide these men. Not because he knew them, not because they were family, not because they were close to him. He hid them because, as the word of God says, he feared the Lord greatly. Now, if I feared the Lord, if I loved the Lord, if I reverenced the Lord, don't you think I'd love his people too? By the book, how can I love God whom I've not seen and hate my brother whom I have? Is that possible? It's not possible. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's the word of God. Boy, I tell you, we got a lot that say and the life is absolutely contrary to what they're saying. God help us to have discernment to know the truth, to see the truth, to believe the truth, to stand up for the truth. And when Jezebel's out killing, God help me, God help me to the bitter end to lay my neck out for the word of God. I thought we would get a whole lot farther in this than we have. And I apologize for that. But I believe we'll stop right there. And... 
pick up there next time. I, I love you all. I hope the Word of God can be a blessing and a strength to your heart. We, we do ask that you would pray for us and remember us. We greatly need the Lord's help. And remember the churches and the men of God that labor for the truth. God help us to not be deceived by the lies that's in our world today, but to hold fast to the Word of God. Thank you. We love you.